Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another of our sermons in the series, When the Going Gets Tough. Today's Bible readings come from Philippians chapter 1 and Acts chapter 16. Everyone knows the Sky Boat song, don't they? You know, the one that goes, Speed, bonny boat, like a bird on the wing, Onward the sailors cry, Carry the lad that is born to be king, Over the sea to sky. The tune was written down by Miss Annie MacLeod as she heard it being sung whilst being rowed across Loch Corisk in the 1870s in Scotland, and the original sailor's words were replaced by Sir Harold Bolton. I wonder if there were some songs of a similar kind being sung by the sailors taking Paul from Tras across to Samothrace and Neapolis, across the Aegean Sea. Moving from there into Philippi, is Paul's first exploit into Europe. It was the result of his dream about a man in Macedonia saying, come and help us, when Paul had been desperately trying to go into Asia. You can read all about that at the beginning of chapter 16 in Acts. He finally concludes that God wants him to preach the gospel over the sea, so he sets sail in a speeding boat across the Aegean. He eventually arrives in the Roman colony of Philippi the then gateway to Europe. It was a large, prosperous city on the major east-west trade route called the Ignatian Way. It was the site for several important battles. In 31 BC, for example, Antony and Cleopatra were defeated and killed there, giving it a very special status. In fact, it was just as if you were in Rome itself. So many Romans settled there with all their privileges as citizens intact. Paul arrives presumably tries to get his bearings a bit in this bustling place, finds a place to sleep and eat, etc. And then he endeavours to follow his normal church planting tactics. First, go to the leading city of the area. Well, he's in Philippi and Macedonia. Tick. Find the synagogue and talk to the people. Hmm, there's a problem. There was no synagogue in Philippi. You need ten Jewish men to start a synagogue and there were just not that many. What's the next best thing? Ah, a group of Jewish ladies will surely gather together for prayer by the river, won't they? Paul hopes that this is the case, and sure enough, on the Sabbath, that is where he goes, and he finds just such a group. Hooray! Now he can begin his work. Following his previous principles for planting, focusing on the spread of the gospel, reflecting on what church is in this particular place, working out who the leaders might be, creating a team, remembering and practising this strategy and being creative in making this work and all for the long term, of course. Paul meets with these ladies and as a result, businesswoman Lydia and her whole household are baptised. Paul was a church planter. Perhaps it was planted in his nature when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Life for Paul from that amazing moment became tough. You see, Paul had a history, and it wasn't a very nice one. He was a persecutor of Christians, an extremely devout Pharisee who thought that this new cult, as he saw it, was just going to cause trouble for the Jews and needed to be stopped in its tracks. The first mention of him in the Bible is as he holds everyone's coats whilst they're busy stoning Stephen, 
in Acts 7.58. It's chilling to read verse 1 of chapter 8. And Saul, as he was then called, approved of their killing. We go on to read of his methodical destruction of the church, going from house to house, dragging men and women off to prison. Eventually he goes to the high priest and asks for letters to take to synagogues in Damascus that would allow him to take prisoner anyone he found to be part of this new cult known as the Way and to bring them to Jerusalem, presumably for some kind of trial. But unbeknown to him, God has other plans for Saul. He has his Damascus encounter, we read it in Acts 9. But, perhaps not surprisingly, the apostles and other followers are somewhat wary of this man who has apparently had such an incredible change of heart. After his conversion, however, the same single-minded dedication Saul had against Christianity, Paul transforms into an almost hyperactive quest to spread the gospel worldwide. His amazing tough-going ministry lasts around 35 years until his death, age 66. Perhaps made even more astonishing given the rudimentary, by today's standards anyway, level of transportation and other difficulties that existed in the first century. But as we have said, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. The book of Acts gives us this incredible story of church planting and it's a great source of information and explanation as to how it might be done again. And of course it has. Let's face it, every church was planted at the beginning of its life by some group of people or another. But I have to say that I'm also encouraged that it's not an entirely perfect model. Otherwise we wouldn't have most of Paul's letters to read as well as Acts as he responds to the arguments, divisions and mistakes that were being made, as well as the extraordinary growth, all of which can help us when things don't go according to the plan. Presumably the Holy Spirit wanted all this recorded in Scripture so that we would know what God intends for his people and how to begin to work it all out in our situation. Roland Allen, writing early in the 20th century, described it all as a missionary manual for church expansion. There are many stories to be told about church planting throughout history, not least our own as just over 80 years ago at the birth of the new Shelthorpe Council Estate, a group of women from Emmanuel Church gathered to pray, asking God to help them build church on the new estate. And as we began to think planting on our new estate, so too we gathered to pray with our resourcing church partner Emmanuel, and St Barnabas was planted last September. In the early 1990s, a group of Christians from St Andrew's Church in Charleywood, Chorleywood sorry, also started praying. And in 1993, a new church began when Mike Pilavacci was released by St Andrew's with 11 others to plant what is now called Soul Survivor Watford. Their website shares, It all started in a front room on a Wednesday evening and has grown ever since. The vision was to provide a place where young people from all over Watford could come. Dreg's Cafe was launched, providing an atmosphere where young people could be cared for and loved and that could help spark an interest in Jesus. The vision then as now is to bring the good news of Jesus to all, with a particular emphasis on young people. 
they still aim to equip and encourage people to live the whole of their lives for God. And from this small beginning also became the Soul Survivor Festivals, which ran from 1993 to 2019, gathering thousands of young people to worship Jesus each summer. The story of Soul Survivor, both church and festival, is a story of what God can do when you take a risk and follow him. The team will tell you that they've never been the most talented bunch, never had lots of money or a huge staff team, but they do have the most faithful God who loves to meet with his people and draw them to him. At one level or another, all these stories seem risky. What if none, no one turns up to something organised? Have we heard God right? Are we really capable of? Is this a waste of money and time? These are just a few of the myriad of possibilities that might stop us. So what risks are you and I taking? As lockdown begins to ease, perhaps it feels like we are taking more risks now than ever before, when we go shopping or go to the doctors or wherever else we might travel. But what risks are we taking in our conversations? If Paul hadn't started talking with Lydia on that fateful Saturday way back when, perhaps I wouldn't be writing this sermon now. Maybe you wouldn't have learned to love God with all your heart or even consider that might be a possibility. Paul took a risk on that day and it paid off and a church was planted that then held a special place in Paul's heart as the opening remarks of his letter to them show. It wasn't an easy time in Philippi. Paul upset the local economy big time. You can read about that carrying on in Acts 16. But nevertheless, the church flourished. They even sent Paul money. The first mission giving, perhaps. The only church that did. To support him in his ongoing ministry. And they sent him physical help in Epaphroditus. These things in themselves were risky for the Philippians, but they were born out of Paul's risk-taking for them. In fact, of course, they were ultimately a response to the risk that Jesus took for us all when he was crucified. So I ask again, what risks are we taking? If we were in a boat full of people, that would be a risk in itself for some of us, wouldn't it? Who would we talk to? What will we sing? We are looking to plant another worshipping community and we'll need to take risks to do that, to talk to people, to find who the leaders will be, create a team, be strategic and creative and all for the long term. I wonder if the ladies back in Shelthorpe thought that the church would still be here today. I think they would, because they were clearly risk takers. Last week, Jackie called us to dream big. Nothing is too hard for God. I want to echo that today. Let's be big risk takers. Let's be the people who pray our next church plant into being. It might be, probably will be, tough going. But Paul tells us to be those who are tough. So let's get going. <laughs>